0: are, you know, uh, uh experienced internet, uh, sensation, I'll go ahead <laughs> and say it. you're, you're amazing, everyone love It's the Interdisciplinary Life Podcast, with an episode we recorded way back in June with Brent Almond from Designer Daddy and Super Lunch Notes on Instagram. Episode 9, we talk about LGBTQ parenting from a couple different angles. Brent as a gay dad, and me as the father of LGBTQ kids. We also talk about the difference between genuine and performative allyship. Stay with us. Hello and welcome to the Interdisciplinary Life podcast. I'm Roberto Santiago, and with me today is Brent Allman. From Designer Daddy and Super Lunch Notes and many other things. Uh, Brent is a writer and an artist and an influencer, which I say, even though it's like become like almost a pejorative, but I say it in like the more <laughs> traditional and positive sense. Um, I'm really excited to have Brent on. I know Brent from the dadg- Dad Blogging community. Um, love Designer Daddy. It's got personal stories, it's got parenting advice, it's got some really fun 10 lists of 10 things from the last 10 years, plus activism and book recommendations and advice on how to be an ally. I mean, it's really, it's got everything you could possibly want. So with that, I will welcome in Brent, and I will ask you, Brent, been following you for several years now, but how did it get started? What was the genesis of Designer Daddy?
1: well first of all thanks for having me i had the idea soon after my son was born it didn't officially start it until his first birthday and initially i the idea was oh you know i'm a designer i'm going to like review all these cool kids products and clothes and stuff and um but then once i became an actual father i realized okay. i don't have the time or the money for this and um so i like the first post was about the birth announcement i designed um when he was born and so it's kind of like the perfect melding of parenthood and being a designer and just kind of went from there kind of um as I met other people in in the blogging community and met other parents and my child grew it kind of evolved along with that as well as um you know things happening in the world whether it's related to adoption or same-sex marriage or you know racism anything like that kind of wove its way into um what I wrote about so
0: that's great and then you have the the super lunch notes Instagram also so did you start taking pictures of those and posting them or how did that sort of
1: how'd you end up doing that you know I think I'd probably seen um I'd seen some other people that did something something similar there's a guy that used to draw uh with a sharpie onto um Sandwich bag. And I thought, oh, that's a cute idea, but I don't want to do that. Um, and so I, like, the first, my son's first day of preschool, I, I drew a Batman, said, go get him, whatever. I don't care where it said. I thought it'd be fun to, like, post it, see how it goes. Um, and there was never, like, to, to me, it was almost just like a fun way to catalog them and have them all in one place. Um, because sometimes the notes would come back, sometimes they wouldn't, sometimes they come back completely rumpled and stained um, sometimes we'll give them to friends or teachers, but like, you know, I did, I had done it for a year or so. And then, um, through one of the blogging conferences, I met uh, a woman who worked at Buzzfeed. Um, and she wanted, she wanted to feature him on there that made him go viral, <laughs> which was great. Um, and we ended up, I ended up doing several interviews and my son and I were, did a an interview with the Australian version of the Today Show via satellite. We got to go to the studio downtown DC. They were featured in like the the Italian version of Children's Vogue called Vogue Bambino and just all this random stuff. Um and um you know it's, it's died down a lot now and now it is really just about you know it's back to just doing it for my son cuz um you know the internet is so fickle and um but yeah, I still do it. And he says he's still he wants me to keep doing it until he goes to college, but we'll see. I didn't do him during uh, COVID. I, when when he's home in school, I didn't do him there. So
2: That
0: was that was gonna be my next question. Like, were you were you packing him a, a sack lunch with a note in it every day to like no. go to his desk? <laughs> no. Um, so you bring up sheltered place, stay at home, quarantine or million names for it, but the obligatory like how did you get through the last year like
1: how was it um, for you guys i mean it was it was really hard um my son has adhd and 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 it was just you know the virtual learning was a nightmare and i think i really had to learn about being just a good enough parent like the whole like trying to be the best parent thing. I mean, I already struggled, struggled with that, but that kind of went out the window. Like, so I was definitely bare bonesing it. Yeah. Just basically, we, I mean, we ended up finding a tutor um, that really helped just to get some of the work done because he wasn't absorbing anything from class. I remember early on one day I went in um, and he was sitting under his desk, like playing with his stress ball. Like, you know, that's just kind of how most of the days were. So I really had, really had to lower, lower my expectations and just thought you know if we can get through this intact as a family without strangling each other it'll be a win we survived
0: yeah yeah I think that's uh that's a very common theme for yeah. for so many of us and and it's been interesting here you know my kids uh now that things are sort of opening back up and everyone feels a little safer they were here all year during the school year and now they're actually going to like some day camps and you know it's it's all outside and masked and and all that fun stuff small groups, but they actually are now out seeing people and socializing, and right. <clears throat> I'm able to actually work at home without being asked for things constantly. Uh, which is which is great. which when you have three, it's a lot of knocking on the door. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then right, through through shelter in place, stay at home, all that. a lot of us are like trying to figure out how to just survive. And a lot of your recent posts talked about some of that. And the ones that I found really interesting, like, right on the the first couple of pages there were the ones, you know, m- learn how to mix your, your colorful drinks, but also, like, be chill about it. And then the one talking to your kids about alcohol consumption and trying to, I thought it was really interesting to see, like, the mind of an 11-year-old and the perceptions of an 11-year-old, like what are they seeing because it's something that i've thought about a little bit but i've never had that conversation with my kids either
2: yeah yeah I'm, uh i i'm in my second year of uh of working for responsibility.org and a lot of those are sponsored posts um but they they give you a lot of freedom just to kind of write about your what your experience is from your perspective and so i just try to make them fun and or informative um without just kind of you know regurgitating the bullet points um but yeah because I mean, he's at the age now where they're like oh you know that like they had a, their first first dance in like a fifth grade dance like i'm going to be in the corner just drinking my champagne okay you know <laughs> he knows he's being funny but he uses you know kind of those kind of things kind of pique their interest because there's you know not if they're dangerous or adult or whatever they are you know it definitely causes me to think more try to be more responsible about not just what i do but what i say so and that you know that was definitely i mean a lot of people talked about i know a lot of people turn to drinking (laughs) a lot more during covid and i I did i mean we drink at home and uh our our bar has become quite um epic our son certainly sees us drink a lot more than he used to um so but that's it's just nice to kind of have that in the back of your mind you know they do see they absorb they're learning you know
0: yeah, it was definitely definitely the same for me. I started, you know, a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more, and then having to go like, wait a second, like we are still like the world hasn't actually ended. Like right. we still have to like dial back to some more moderation than, than was happening.
2: Right.
0: Um. So yeah, I thought I thought that 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 post in particular, I thought was really like it was meaningful for me as another parent going through stay at home for sure. Um, So then you also have this activism set of posts that, that come up, you know, periodically. Uh, And I think those are also really important because we're, we're coming into, I feel like a, a, a time when there's a a lot of push and pull. I think, I mean, you have you've way more knowledge about this than I do, but seeing sort of, it seems like every few years we go through this cycle, whether it was, you know, uh, Prop 8 in California, and then eventually same-sex marriage being legalized nationally, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And then really for, I feel like it was 2015 or so is when we started to see bathroom laws coming up and issues not just around transgender people but now more specifically transgender kids um and then of course we have this whole thing you know and i i don't remember the exact numbers but this idea that among millennials like a majority of them don't see gender as a binary and so we've we've again in this place nationally where we've got one side really trying to pull things all the way back to you know 50s or whatever and we have this other side that is going forward at this like really what seems to me to be like an accelerated rate right compared to the past because i did grow up in san francisco in the in the 80s and sort of got to see that movement happening here from a distance and it did seem to me very slow um and so For parents like myself and for parents out there, I think that a lot of the stuff that you have um, the book list, the how to be an ally, the just all of that is really relevant and also really helpful. Um, so what, can you talk a little bit about sort of that set of uh, of posts that you do, that sort of that theme that you have on your site?
2: No, I mean, it came up early in in vlogging, because I, I think you know, i think that was part of my niche was that um i was a gay dad and I, you know i wasn't so it wasn't first but it was um it was still kind of unique and i had still unique i mean I, I i still meet people all the time say oh yeah you're the first gay dad i don't know the first you know not so much the first gay person but yeah it's still like within the dad bloggers we've had a lot of guys say like you know you're the first gay friend i've had and so that's really meaningful to me. Sometimes when I sum up my blog, I say it's it's usually about politics, pop culture, or parenting. Um, but it's not really politics in my mind. It's just life, and that's why I always try to present it that way. Of <clears throat> you know, I'm not trying to indoctrinate anybody's kids. I'm not trying to shove policy on anybody. So this is this is me. This is my family. This is my child. This is what we deserve. This is what we need. To be safe and healthy and equal and all that kind of stuff and i always think putting a face to uh, to uh an issue makes it more effective especially to those closest to you to your family and, and to your kids friends and their parents things like that so that's not to say i don't i don't get i don't have fun pushing buttons sometimes i have done i did two volumes of abcs of trump um the, the idea was words that you thought words that your kids have learned some some of the you know like xenophobia and you know all that kind of stuff the 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 post I did recently about um like recommending uh my favorite LGBTQ children's books because you know I kind of did a survey in in a parenting group on Facebook and and it was a little surprising to see that so many even progressive parents didn't didn't have any books like that in their library for their kids, or, or maybe didn't even know they existed. And so I really wanted to kind of expose them to that, but it's not just for the kid that has two parents or the parents who have a, a transgender kid, um, it should be for anybody. And it was interesting because I don't get a lot of negative comments. I think because my, my, I'm, my audience is kind of insular and, but I, I had boosted it a little bit on Facebook and I think I clicked the different audience. Than I usually do, and I think it was just like general, and so somehow some, you know, really nasty stuff seeped in there. And I had to I had to go in and change it because it was just like piling on, because you know I think once it gets in the algorithm, like everybody who hates that whole friend of mine sees it, and their friends see it, I and mean, it was just you know, calling me child abuser and you know, all this gross stuff. Um, so it's you know it's still out there, obviously which just goes to show that it's, you know, still so important to share my life and my story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I definitely find those resources helpful. Um,
2: you know, I am a
0: parent raising LGBTQ kids, but even if I weren't, I know that for me and, and for my wife, it's, it's an important part of, you know, our friend group, our community, And something that we would want to be sharing with them anyway, and so hopefully that is one of those things where, like, all parents want to be able to just add that little bit of awareness, you know, to the sort of the menu of things that we read and that we talk about with our kids.
2: Yeah, and and that there is a way to teach kids about that in age-appropriate ways. Just just the same way there's a you can teach kids about racism in age-appropriate ways.
0: Well, and and the other big one is teaching about consent like you're saying with the with the the cruel comments you know people immediately associate teaching this stuff to kids with sexualization mm-hmm. when it's really not a part of it you can teach consent without even ever mentioning sex and just mm-hmm. you can ingrain consent as a habit before kids are even thinking about any sort of physical act <laughs> Um, And, and you can do the same thing with gender identities or with who you're attracted to or with almost any other topic. Um, I found that's one of the things, the big ones, the big battles I've had to fight with people is when they think that my kids identifying as transgender is somehow related to their sexuality.
2: Right, right. And you know, and we talked about this a little bit before, but um, you know, I've, I've it's been really amazing and great to see so many of my parent friends who have kids that have come out as trans, and you know, and there's I know there's that whole mindset of like, where did all these trans people come from? You know, they didn't have this when I was a kid or whatever, and you know, it was there obviously, just like being gay was there. It just wasn't safe or there wasn't a, a system set up for it. There may not have been a word for it, but it's nothing new. We had a play date, um, although my son told me it's not play dates anymore, it's just hanging out. Um, we went to uh, the house of one of his friends. One of the friends is going to be going to school with in the fall, I uh, like to kind of pair you with a family and they kind of so you get to know people. Um, and this friend's older brother was trans and he came out um, early on in the pandemic, like it was like between sixth and seventh grade. And um, so it was great just talking to them all about it and the experience with that. And um, and just how, you know, how happy it makes me for this child um, that they can have that opportunity and be able to become themselves in a safe and supportive place.
0: Yeah, yeah. In some ways, maybe quarantine, I, I mean, I guess this is if you have a supportive family. If you don't, obviously quarantine was probably absolutely horrible. But for, I think, just thinking about my own kid, I think that it was easier Mm -hmm. to come out during quarantine because then you don't necessarily have to face the world yet and you can just be who you are at home, in your place where everybody loves and supports you. Mm -hmm. Um, I guess, obviously, it's the opposite if your family is not like looking at that like well where's this all coming from and right there's this labeling of it it's like oh it's a new fad it's like the the zoomer fad right is is to do this and i think that you're right that uh, because maybe there's a terrible analogy but i i it sounds a lot like what i used to say about peanut allergy kids right (laughs) I was like, when I was in school, you didn't have, like, peanut allergies. Like, all of a sudden, every kid's going to die if they're near a peanut. Like, where were these kids when I was little? And then I had this horrible realization that they were all dead because, like, we didn't know about peanut allergies. And so, like, they never made it to first grade, right? Like, I was like, oh, my God, this is, like, but I have this, like, horrible, cruel thing that I've now said about the peanut kids, you know, who didn't make it, and... And in a, a more somber way, I mean, I think that is that is the same thing with with transgender kids or gender fluid kids, where it's like, right, like now it's happening now because the world's ready for it now more than it was, Parts, right? of, the world. And, yeah. Parts of the world, well, and you, but you get more of a like a a snowball effect where it's. gets a little bigger and a little bigger and and more and more people hopefully start to feel more comfortable just being themselves at an
2: earlier age yeah I mean because I know when I was in high school you know there was a kid who he was pretty flamboyant and people would talk about him as being gay but I don't even back then I don't think people when they when they said gay or when they called people faggot or whatever it wasn't I don't think any of us Any of us or them actually thought, oh, they're actually gay. They just, we just knew it was a bad word and they would say it about us. And um, so, you know, I I remember kind of avoiding him because I didn't want to, I wanted to, I was trying to blend in, I was trying to hide. You know, even since then, it's been so nice to see kids be able to come out younger and younger and in safer environments and um, being able to experience, you know, First crushes at the appropriate age you know which is which is always <clears throat> which is always something that um, a lot of people my age when they come out later that is something really hard to to reconcile something you kind of mourn you know that I didn't you know I was living a lie you know when everybody else was dating and having sex and all this kind of stuff and it was just you know I missed out
0: it makes you feel better. I was not having sex. I <laughs> wow. took it took
2: a really long time. Like
0: <laughs> I was out there, not having sex. Right. That was my that was my experience for sure. One of the things that you kind of had on Facebook, uh, I think it was just your your regular personal Facebook, not your your blocking Facebook. Uh, that sort of struck me and and really made me think like, yeah, I really want to talk to Brent because I think you are you have a really good perspective on this stuff because you are very social media savvy. But you had a, a post that I, I'll sort of paraphrase it because I don't remember it exactly, but it was like, you know, all these, all these straight guys are out here getting credit for painting their nails or doing their hair. You know, where's my cookie for playing catch with my son the other day, right? And it really did bring into focus that, that reality right that for almost a decade now the internet has been very happy to have these sort of memes or photographs or you know blog posts whatever it is that just either go viral right away or they keep popping up every like six months someone like posts oh here's that photo of the dad and the tiara having a tea partner whatever it is um and that gets like a lot of like applause and warm fuzzy feelings from people whereas right like if if you're out there playing catch with your kid which maybe isn't like your thing right there and no one no one's surprised like no one's like oh my god yes look at the gay dad who can throw a football like not the same impact (laughs) what sort of prompted you to post that was it just like a tongue-in-cheek one-off was there something more behind it what was what was that about
2: um well you know i think is every year we get when we get to father's day first of all i get a bazillion emails from people trying to get me to talk their dad related stuff um but you know you see commercials pop up or memes or people a lot of dad related stuff and i'm not sure exactly I, you know, it may have been a commercial i saw because i know that kind of thing all pops up in a lot of commercials um, no, more often than it used to. Um, and I, I'm on a couple of lists for publishers and I got this this uh, book that Channing Tatum wrote about him and his daughter called The One and Only Sparkella and how she's super sparkly and and gets made fun of at school but her dad kind of supports her by showing up to drop off in a pink tutu and a fuchsia boa and you know kind of empowers her. It's great, it's a cute story, it's, it's a great uh, theme but um yeah that kind of thing where you see um very you know stereotypically masculine men either letting their kids paint their nails or put makeup on them or play dress up and it's and it does get a lot of attention it's you know it's odd a lot I don't I don't necessarily begrudge it but it did make me think you know hey I was out here playing ball with my son the other day but that wouldn't go viral or whatever um and and it's and it's not so much that, you know, I thought about it more, um, and I know that plays into stereotype too, but there are a lot of um, of gay men who who have some emotional trauma from from PE class and sports in high school and being picked on because they weren't masculine enough, you know. And I didn't have a two foot beard in high school, <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I mean. <laughs> We and we found our spaces, whether it's an art or theater or, or, you know, student government or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's um, th- th- it's there's it's it's a, it can be a difficult thing emotionally to kind of break out of that and play with your kids, play ball with all your kids, and take them to sports events or support them in their in their sporting events. And um, obviously, some dads not a problem. My husband is very into sports and. Um, so he tends to do more of that stuff with him, but yeah, when I got there and play ball with my son, I, I I do think back to my own childhood about my that I never liked to do it, but my dad wanted me to, and I never liked sports. And but there's a certain joy in being able to do that with my son, you know, provide that for him, and you know, do the best I can. And um, you know, that's that's really the only reward I need. Uh, it's not that I'm looking for, you know. A trophy or whatever but um right it's just i guess just an observation like you know but i think it also goes to why are we why are we praising these dads for for doing something that's more feminine um and making it seem super special you know when really they're just being there for their kids and granted that should be applauded across the board Um i had one commenter to say you know praise isn't high there's enough for everybody Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. It's that whole, and I know it's different too, but based on your perspective and where you're from, because if you don't have, if you've never seen that or didn't have anybody in in your life that is willing to kind of go against those macho, misogynistic stereotypes and just be, you know, be whatever your kids need you to be, um, I can see how that would be super special and really neat to see. For some of us, it's kind of okay. Do
0: you think part of it is that for these? usually cis pet dudes who are doing this or who are in these memes and stuff like it's like hey you're so sensitive and willing to do that and it's a little transgressive whereas for you know all of American history basically if gay dads or gay guys are doing that stuff it's considered deviant and see that's part of the problem and so it's it's Viewed very negatively:
2: right, yeah, I mean I think if I, think if I were to um, you know post something about me painting my son's nails or if he wanted to if he wanted to start wearing dresses and you know taking him off of that, I'd either I'd either probably get the reaction of like, uh oh, or I'd get people telling me I was you know a pedophile or a groom, grooming him or deviant or whatever um and that i shouldn't be a parent you know that's why you know our friend aaron cuvea you know when he not not to you know love him but like when he you know when he post about um letting his son paint his nails and, and sticking up for him um at school and with other kids stuff and that went viral and, you know but if the gay dad had done that you know i don't think it would have it, would, it wouldn't have had near the same kind of impact um and you know, in reality, it shouldn't matter.
0: And then coming back, coming back to the sports thing. So I think the sports thing. I was thinking about this after we talked the other day um, about you know we talked about Carl Nasib. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and and the ability to come out as a super rich, <laughs> good-looking white guy who looks like John Cena. And while it is super important, I think. You know, you were saying, and I've read some things that have taken a, a slightly different perspective.
2: Yeah, I mean, when anything like that happens, it's always it runs the gamut, especially, you know, in, in the LGBTQ community. Um, but really, like, people people definitely praising it, saying it's awesome that kids will now have this example, and but then also say people saying, you know, yes, it's great for this guy to come out. But he, he totally had the choice. He can pass. You know, he's rich. He's wealthy. He's good-looking. He can kind of do what he needs to do. White. Um, whereas all these kids that grew up that were more feminine or, or people of color or, you know, whatever situation they were in that marginalized them, they didn't always have a choice. They were out just because of who they were. So just kind of reminding people, like, yeah, this is great, but he wouldn't be able to do this. If it wasn't for these generations of people that have done it, um, and for the, all the people every day who um, you know aren't able to do that, and this kind of goes to what gets applause, what gets cookies. I think in the last Olympics, when um, what's his name? I actually met him at mom
1: <laughs> but he's like he's
2: a gay ice skater. I had to look him up. Yeah, he was he was uh, yeah he came out. out him and Gus Kenworthy. Gus Kenworthy was the very masculine tattoo diver, and then the other guy was the ice skater, more feminine, um, and they were they were good buds, and it was, so it was kind of fun to see. But the whole reaction was, oh, uh, you know, big shock, an ice skater came out, uh, um, and it was you know, it was I find it found it very dismissive, and you know, it's, it's mocking and. And kind of cool you know and i wanted to say um adam ripon is who i was talking about okay i looked the um <laughs> the
0: um
2: you know obviously i mean the whole thing the stereotypes exist for a reason they're they are you know they are based on actual occurrences um yeah like with anything there's People across the board. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if this is a statistic. Um, I, you know, but even in my group of friends and, and the, the social circles I'm in, um, especially with gay men, there, there's always those tropes about, um, oh, I don't know anything about sports or, you know, calling the Oscars the gay Super Bowl or whatever. Um, and it's, you know, it's fun. It's kind of our shorthand language, but we know it doesn't apply to everybody. I think. To me, it's kind of like with, with gender and sexuality, it's like just letting people be who they need to be, whether they, you know, however they dress or what they like to do. And um, you're talking about, you know, the stereotype that gay men are more feminine and lesbian women are more masculine. I, it is it is true in a lot of cases, but so what? <laughs> that That's kind of the attitude I've been trying to have too, is like, um, and, I, and I've, I've really been enjoying how that's really blended. Even within the queer community, like you see more more trans drag queens or drag queens with beards, or you know, just kind of really blending the genders um, to where it just you know just kind of train yourself. Don't ask. Just accept who they are. It doesn't matter what their anatomy is. It doesn't matter how they identify. Um, you know, unless they tell you and ask for something specific. So just let people be and um, you know just enjoy enjoy their company. But you know, I, back to the sports thing, I think for me, you know, a lot of that, and, and I'm sure this applies some to, to guys like yourself, but for me and for a lot of gaming in particular, and I'm sure trans kids as well, the whole thing of sports and school and being in the locker room and puberty, and it's all tied into sexuality and body positivity and um, peer pressure and zits and it's just it's one big mess and it's um and it's it, you, it really you really can feel exposed both literally and figuratively um it's it's like it's the hardest place to it's the hardest place to hide sometimes if you're not ready to come out um because it's okay. so it's so tied into to um the male gender stereotype the performance and athleticism and appearance and all that kind of stuff.
0: Yeah. And I think like that I mean that resonates for me again as sort of like a, a theater kid and a, a nerd. Uh, in in that I I actually I always I always really liked sports and I liked being physical and doing things with my body. What I hated from kindergarten through most of high school was sports culture, was everything that came with doing it. Right. Cause you know, I was. Uh, I mean, I weighed. I was in high school. I was like five eleven, weighed 120 pounds. Like I was a very awkward <laughs> kid, um, and I really wanted to play games and stuff. But it was like the 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 teasing and the the negativity of like trying to do something and not being good at it that I hated. And so then I just didn't want to do it until I found a more inclusive sport. When I found rugby, which was like. Rugby's always desperate for people because no one knows what rugby is. Like it's like not popular here. So you join a rugby team, and they're like, we don't care what you look like, sound like, act. Like, just, please, just stay, just show up. Uh, and so I actually found rugby in high school was really welcoming because it was all, you know, the misfits who didn't make the football team or whatever. Um, and then sort of by accident, found myself heavily involved as an adult in the gay rugby community, um, which is a whole other thing. But again. And and I think, gosh, I was like 26 when I started, um, when I first sort of started playing for a gay rugby team without knowing I was playing for a gay rugby team, which kind of shows how cool they were, that they like, not that like they were like hiding that they were gay because they absolutely weren't, um, but that they didn't care who I was. (laughs) They were like, yeah, whatever, man, come on. Um, But then seeing the rugby community, the worldwide rugby community embrace gay rugby and, and bring it into, you know, the fold of world rugby and, and rugby as a, as a culture has always been sort of, I think, more inclusive in general than other sports.
2: Well, going to ask you this, do they, um, are there rugby teams that have, um, um, cause that, I'm in the game and sports of Washington and that's something that we've had to work through the last couple of years in, in trying to be actively diverse. Um, certainly racially, but also, um, you know, we have we have quite a few trans members, both male and female. Um, we even have a couple of heterosexual women um, who, you know, part of that was because, I think, because of our reputation and the quality of the music we do um, and the voice part that they sang, they were able to sing, you know, tenor. Um, and, you know, we went through that whole... We went through an identity crisis, I think. There's definitely the older, some of the older people would kind of mock. I have people I know, gay men, who kind of mock the whole pronouns thing. Um, or, you know, people saying, oh, you know, what? why, why are we letting women into the chorus with a gay men's chorus in Washington? And that's something I've been struggle with, like, because the chorus was created like 40 years ago as a safe place for gay men. At the height of the AIDS crisis and it was a safe place for them and so they were very protective of that space um but like with anything is that as as our as our rights have increased and our you know our um privileges have increased you know it's I think it's up to us to look out for those in our community who don't have as much privilege or as much safety or acceptance and you know it's not like and, and we even considered like, oh, should we change our name? Um, we did decide to keep our name because of the historical, just the history of it um, and the name recognition. Um, but everywhere, all of our messaging is very much, you know, inclusive and we always make sure to include you we want to hide the fact that there are women and trans people and people of color in our voice and we celebrate it. Um, I mean, that's the official policy and I celebrate personally. person
0: and there's a lot of old school rugby traditions that are, are very homophobic and I think that gay rugby for men really started because gay men wanted a place to go be athletic and play without dealing with all the other crap right, um, right. and just from talking to to rugby players over the years the understanding I have is that women's rugby didn't have the same problem in the same ways you know obviously there are there are homophobic women Uh, and there's hope of women in rugby but I think the sport in general has been more accepting and so there there wasn't as much of a need to create that and and gay rugby in the time that I've been in it has has followed the same lines that you're talking about where you know when I joined the Washington Renegades you know and I think they were sort of early adopters of using more inclusive language but like it was we were part of the Inter-National Gay Rugby Association. Like, we were a gay rugby team. We played other gay rugby teams. You know, we played within our own union against all the local teams, but we played other gay rugby teams. We went to gay rugby tournaments. We played the Bingham Cup. I mean, the the not me, but the club was one of the sort of initial members of that group that, that actually played the first tournament with Mark Bingham as a participant um, and then later sort of helped to build everything out post 9-11. Um, but over the years, the the club's language, and I think a lot of the clubs in um, what's now called RG- IGR, International Gay Rugby, uh, have moved more towards being like, we're an inclusive club, right? right? And, and in practice, you know, obviously, by the fact that I was there, <laughs> um, in practice, what it's always meant is we're going to be a club that focuses on recruiting and creating a good place for gay rugby players. And if you come here, you have to be part, you know, you have to be into that. You have to be down with that program. Right. (laughs) um, But anybody can join. Right. Right. So come on in, whoever you are, come join our team. You're totally welcome. But of course, if you're, you know, if you're a phobe, dude, you're not going to last. Like, you're not. No one's changing for you. Like, You're meeting us here where we are. No one is meeting you. We're not, no one's adapting things to make
2: you comfortable,
0: right?
2: Yeah, I think there was a, I think there was an episode, I remember an episode of Will and Grace where Matt Damon joined the New York Damon's Chorus, then it turned out he was straight and there was a whole big controversy of why, you know, why was he in the chorus? And I can't remember what, there was some kind of, silly sitcom thing he was trying to accomplish but um, yeah I think you know I think with with choruses I mean there's there's also an international gay and lesbian chorus association and we have a big um, our gay chorus Olympics every four years um, called gala um, but the um, <laughs> yeah um, the um, but there I mean there's there's you know by and large just a lot more um, men involved a lot more male choruses <clears throat> and there, there used to be a mixed course in dc um there's um the lesbian day course but they're they're no longer around so there isn't really a queer men's women's chorus in dc so that would make sense that if they if they wanted to sing or be part of the community they you know they would go to the gay men's course. and um so i'm glad that we can fill that need for the few that we've
0: yeah, that's great. And then the rugby world, like a lot of the sports world, is still trying to figure out a stance on trans athletes and
2: yeah.
0: where they belong and and how do you make a space for people to to compete and and be welcomed. Um, and it's it's really it's very controversial right now. I think the last I heard, world rugby is more on sort of the IOC side of things, and right now they are not allowing trans athletes to compete in their, you know, the gender of their I their identified gender. They want them to do their gender at birth or
2: their sex at birth. Um, and a, I wish Caitlin Jenner was a better spokesperson on that topic. Because <laughs> she'd be the perfect spokesperson.
0: Yeah, well, and it's it's a it's one that really hits home for me specifically because I have two transgender kids who play rugby. And mm-hmm. it's fine right now because up until middle school they all just play together right right? they don't separate by gender um and you know one is thinking yeah i'll just go to my gendered team once i get to middle school and the other one is like well maybe i'll just stop playing and it's it's tough for me to see that like that might be the reason why the kid stops playing right? is because they don't want to have to choose to be on this team or that team. Um, Or Mm -hmm. that, you know, they want to be able to choose either one, you know, based on how, who who they're feeling like they want to be with, you know, once that decision comes with not meaning like who, what their gender is, but you know, they may want to join the boys team because all of their friends from the U12 team are boys and they want to keep playing with their friends, right? Or they may want to join the girls team because they feel that's a better size and competitive match. Like, I don't know, but it's really tough that it that that decision might drive them just out of the game completely.
2: Yeah. And that, because I mean, ideally, like, They'd be able to play where they feel comfortable, but they need that from the top down. They need the coaches saying to the whole team, "Hey, we don't we don't uh, discriminate against anybody who wants to play and treat them with respect. that you're off the team, and like, that's got to be the stance for everybody to feel safe." Um, I was just reading this morning there was a there was a, a school board hearing in Loudoun County, Virginia, which is you, know, you ever hear about that? Yep. Is this the critical race theory protest? Yeah, I mean they were they were talking about I think trans uh, sports was part of the topic, but then it kind of turned to the racial critical critical race theory thing, and they shut it down because it was people getting arrested and it's a lot of scared ignorant people out there. Um,
0: well, and and I think that what. What people don't understand, people who are, are opposed to trans kids participation in sports don't understand is that I don't think there's a kid in America. I don't think there's maybe there's not a kid in the world who is going to go through all of the things you have to go through as an out trans person just to get a competitive edge on it in a soccer game. Right. You know, like no one's like, oh, I'm going to go win this. You know, there's no little boy out there gonna go win the state wrestling girls wrestling championship and have to deal with all the stuff you have to deal with as an out trans person because they wanted to be girls at wrestling. Like that's not a thing. Like no one is doing that just to get a competitive advantage. Like it does that does not exist. Yeah. Wow, man, we got heavy. We got heavy <laughs> for a second.
2: We talked about a lot of sports, way more sports already.
0: So the sort of circling back again to social media and awareness and allyship. um, Something that I know I've wrestled with on a lot of fronts is this idea of really being able to be a genuine ally and not just a performative ally. And that was another thing that your post sort of brought up for me because I have like posted my painted nails, um, which for me goes back to a whole story of like, having wanted to have painted nails like most of my life since I was a kid and not letting myself do it until my kids sort of gave me the courage. Um, but it still falls into that, this hat dude with the painted nails, nail you, right? Whatever I think my motivations are, as so, as the world sees it, it's still part of that grouping, right? Um, and so it's something that I, I really, think about a lot of like how can I be an ally and not just be someone who's stealing focus or who is out there sort of like trying to leverage this for my own clicks and likes um and it's it's a really uncomfortable discussion that I sort of have with myself ongoing but I don't have any outside perspective so I'm going to like just put the spotlight on you and say like what what do you say and I use myself not to like make you talk about me but it's easier to like talk about my own faults than say like these people right okay. um but for people like me like what is your advice on how we can sort of have a public presence that does sort of lift up and bring awareness to and not sort of steal
2: focus from like make it all about you as opposed to right the people you're yeah about. Um, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's a good question. I mean, in terms of social media presence, to me, it's, it's going to boil down to kind of like the, I guess, quote, unquote, the body of work. It's hard to say. I mean, because I, I know you and I know, I know your story and I know, but I think, like I said, it, it comes out just kind of the overall, the overall presence and overall, um, output that you, that you give. And it, it, you can't really control how everybody's gonna see it. Cause I'm sure some people might see it formative. Some people might not. And I think if, if you're being genuine, being the best ally you know how to be and being open to criticism and open to learning, then just, you know, do your thing. I think of this too, like I, as a designer, obviously visuals are very important to me. I don't know that I, I don't, I guess I don't have the time or the patience to set up super high quality photo shoots for everything that I share on Instagram. And sometimes that kind of thing bothers me, regardless of the person's orientation or or whatever they're trying to say, just the amount of polish and performance involved in whatever it is can get really too old and come off as insincere. And so that's something I kind of look at as well.
0: So my crappy, like half sunlight, half shade, like overexposed photos, like... Just screams like genuine,
2: right? right.
0: <laughs> Good, because I uh, said I work really hard to get that level of yeah. like crappiness.
2: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 actually ashamed of how poor my photo quality has become over the years. I, I used to try harder. You now, yeah, I mean, I I guess I kind of on on the on the other end for me, I I really had to learn a lot about how I navigate being a a public person on social media and how I, um, how I come across as an ally to people of color. And I think even, even to a lesser degree to the trans community, because I, you know, I don't get a free pass just because I'm in the community, you know, Um, but I think, you know, in terms of regarding, regarding race and people of color, I've, I've definitely had to learn how to, how to listen more, how to kind of find my place. And not make it about me, like not jump on threads when people color having a, a discussion and I kind of jump in and give my two cents or ask a question that takes it off topic or trying to try to edu- educate myself within that context, you know, that's up to me. That's my job. And I can learn, and I can read, and I can listen to what people are saying. Um, and I can amplify it. But yeah, that, that's been an ongoing process for me. You know, just kind of not always stick my big white privileged male nose into the, the, the topic and um, <laughs> really try to amplify people who need to be heard
0: I think and I think that that's it's an important message for all of us who are allies in different ways right like like you said like you know you're you get to be a big old white guy and you know and that that does come with certain privileges and even though I'm you know Puerto Rican and Asian I still get to be a cishet dude like you know and so as we're sort of supporting each other really knowing how to do that right without detracting or distracting or making it about
2: ourselves i think is a really important thing for for all of us to be thinking about and this isn't to pat ourselves in the back but it it also you know it makes me sad to think that at least half the country is not having these conversations they're not worried about any of this and they think like with critical race theory, they think if we try to portray history as more accurate, then it's it's all about bashing white people.
0: And that's where I think the value is in us having these conversations because you know we have our LGBTQ white guy, and we have our cishet person of color, and we're gonna come together and make peanut butter cups of justice <laughs> and 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 be, and we're all going to be stronger because of that. And we're all going to be more united. And we're going to be able to face all of these issues that are before us. And our kids are going to be awesome because, you know, I've got my, look, again, again, I don't have anything against white people. I have lots of white friends. Okay. I even, I married, I married a white person. I have white kids, you know, and I love them even, even though, you know
2: they're white i have Um, i have straight parents so
0: i you know and that was another thing i was going to mention here but right but the point being that right we're going to have mixed lgbtq affirming kids who go on and meet other mixed lgbtq affirming people and i mean honestly like this whole idea of like the arc of the universe bending towards justice like a lot of that is just people like us having kids and having them have kids and just outpacing the other side until, until everyone's just sort of grown up in a inclusive family, whatever that means for them. Um, But yeah, this idea of like straight parents. And so that was the other, the other uh, piece of this for me is that, you know, here I am, I am a straight parent raising LGBTQ kids um, with my my not straight partner who I, I don't like to like do too much abouting her because, again, not my not my story, but still sort of a, an important part of the family dynamic. Um, as much as people worry about indoctrination and influencing kids, it's straight people who pretty much birth all of the gay people. <laughs> and they need help. Yes. Not the gay people. The straight parents of the world need help. Um, Stray parents of America need help they do because even like this was something I wrote about like even me who I I'm like super woke right I'm from the bay area like I grew up with gay people there were like out gay people in my junior high like we like this is not new to me none of this is new or surprising and then when my kids came out as trans it absolutely was new and surprising because it was a, a part of the community that I had no real knowledge about. Right, I've known some transgender people, but in a very ignorant way, right, on a very surface level, very ignorant way. And so, I I went through I think uh, something that was similar to what a lot of other straight parents go through, which is like what like shock and like. Sadness, unfortunately, and which I hate to admit, but I think it's it's important to put out there, like I was not ready for it. I was not like a hundred percent on board at first. I had to come around to that, even already being someone who thought they were an ally, realizing how much more work I had to do. Um so what like you you have some advice for people on your blog. What do you have to say to the straight parents of the world, as we know that kids are coming out earlier and more frequently there's
2: there's there's the two extremes. there's the you know, there's the ex, the extreme rejection where parents will kick their kids out or force them into conversion therapy or some such abuse. Um, but then, and it's not obviously not the same. it's not equal, but i I, I hear parents you know retelling the story of when their kids come out to them and um, every once in a while parents say when their child comes out to them they're like oh that's it or so thinking that they're being cool like I don't know if they actually said that but that's what they say um, and that to me is, is almost is similar to like you know when I talk about Adam Rippon coming out and people saying oh big shocker it's I think in an attempt to be uber supportive and uber woke it, it it kind of it kind of minimizes it um so i think i think if you're if you are a supportive parent and you want to be you know take cues from your kids and in terms of how much they want to talk and what they want to know you know you can provide all the tools to them but celebrate it with them mourn it with them whatever they're feeling try to try to match that and be supportive for them i i i definitely wouldn't say oh cool, you know, and kind of move on with life. Um, I mean, if they don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But, you know, I think there's better ways to kind of show your support than thinking you're being super cool by just saying, you know, you know. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think it's, and this is where the whole kind of it takes a village thing comes to play is, like with any parent, there's only so much you can do for your kids. You're not going to be an expert at everything. And so, when it comes to having queer kids, I mean, you can certainly do as much research as you can, and join organizations and provide opportunities for them. But it might also be that you need to have other people be support for them, where you can't. Whether it's a, um, whether it's a queer mentor, or they might need to find, they might need to get that need need for acceptance and questions answered um, somewhere else. And don't be afraid to let that happen, and to be the to be a support in that way. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, like, it does. Like, I would like kind of like um, I'd love to be the one that taught my son to play baseball better, but that's I can't fill that role. My husband can do it, or a coach can do it, and that's part of helping my child succeed and not making it about me.
0: No, it it totally makes sense. Um, yeah, when my when my kids came out. And and they did, I always say when my kids came out, but it was like over a period of a, a couple of years, one of then the other. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was sort of one of my next steps was getting in touch with people, looking for resources, doing a lot of reading, figuring out what the organizations are. My kids actually just finished uh, a week at like, it's like LGBTQ kid camp. Like it's, it's a you know day camp just for all all lgbtq kids and run by counselors lgbt counselors and and all that and and you know
2: amazing that exists
0: yeah like like tons of trans kids and trans counselors and just you know that's that's one of the places that i'm really happy exists because right it's it's some of that you know They have middle school kids and high school kids and college kids and adults who have all already gone through the things that my kids are going through now and they can relate to it in ways that I never will be able to. And so I'm I'm happy, really happy to have them, you know,
2: around and in our lives. So the the course I'm in, we actually have a youth youth chorus called Gen Out and it's for um, the ages, if it's like 13 to 18 or whatever, but, yeah, they, and they, they perform at every one of our shows and they have their own gigs and everything and um, it's amazing to see that that group grow and also see that they're kind of again kind of indicative of, of this younger generation is it's much more uh, mixed racially and a larger percentage of trans kids than much larger than overall course but I you know we have something we have a lot of things to learn from them you know just about getting over ourselves and our hang-ups that we that we have regardless of um regardless of how you know progressive we think we are we always have
0: yeah that's well that's something that you know my my wife has talked about and I've, i've talked to some other people and and gotten some input on but that intergenerationally there's some uh Some tension between the older gay community and the younger gay community, and and you can tell me if I'm totally off base here, but it it, some of it stems from a a resentment of how easy kids have it now. Do you think that's true?
2: Oh, sure, sure. I mean, the resentment part. Not do you think that that's right? Right. Yeah, (laughs) I've certainly seen that. Like, oh, you know, these kids don't appreciate what we've gone through, and you know. And I think there's a way to communicate that with sounding like you're saying "get off my lawn," you know, um, because that, that automatically shuts down the conversation. Um, you know, I've seen you know I've seen still a lot see older gay people who refuse to use the word queer um, because it was such a negative connotation for so long for for those of us uh, for us gay users. But I, you know, I I kind of encourage them. Like I understand that there's some, maybe some trauma associated with that. But take you know take it as an opportunity to grow, and and it may be painful. But for me, it was for me it was kind of like I got over it pretty quickly, and I actually like using it because it, the word still has a lot of power, and I know that it bugs, I know it bugs some older gay people, but also bugs a lot of straight people. Like it's a it's a it's a powerful word. It's it has more it pushes more buttons than just saying LGBT. And I like it too because it's inclusive and it it kind of runs the gamut. And but yeah, I think there's definitely some of that, some of that thought of these kids don't know how easy they have it. But that you know, that's in every society, whether it's straight, you know, Puerto Rican, whatever it's like.
0: Yeah, I mean, at least for my Puerto Rican family, they will absolutely tell you every day how easy you have it now. It's like saying good morning.
2: Right. (laughs) Yeah, I, um, I I try to. you mean, know, I try to surround myself with being knowledgeable about. That's that's part of why I like the course. Is there's even in the, the adult part of the course, there's a, a really, you know, singers of all ages, and I, and I like that energy from younger people. And also, I learned a lot from it. You know, just keeps me keeps me young. And I'm not trying to be the the super hip dad, but I I do want to I do want to keep learning. You know.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, I I gave up on being the super hip dad. I have I, so embarrassing. I'm now like officially the like dad whose radio is locked onto the classic rock station. Like, you know, my kids are like, How do you know all these songs? I'm like, well, these are the biggest hits of the 60s, 70s and more. Like, you know, like <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. you know, but you know in in private they're gonna be proud to be able to tell their friends that their dad played on a gay rugby too. Yeah. They'll never tell yeah. you that, but they'll, you know, they'll
0: tell their friends. Well, and, I, <laughs> and I, yeah, I hope so, and I hope that that's part of, I mean, along with everything else that we've done, sort of just to live our lives as a family, that, you know, my kids were coming out to Bingham Cups from the time they were born, you know, my, I think my oldest was almost a year old when they, when they went to their first Bingham Cup um, in 2010, and then When we went again in 2016 they got to do uh they got to be the ball boy for the championship match so they were well six years old running out there putting the ball back in the middle going and getting it after it got kicked and stuff um you know we we've i wouldn't say we've worked to give our kids these experiences they're things that we were doing anyway but we've definitely been intentional about bringing our kids along
2: right
0: you know and and talking about it and being like, yeah like, you know Phil and Brian are coming over <laughs> so like you know and my kids have grown up with it just being perfectly almost unremarkable mm.
2: um, I mean, and, that, and that's I mean that's and that's a big piece of advice for parents i would give is you just have to you have you have to create a life and an environment where where that allows them to come out even if you never have queer kids um you know you want to be that if you if you're not if you're not going to be a parent to your own queer kids you may end up being a parent to their friends that don't have that at home and just you know that and all that so many things come into play like the kind of the kind of media you expose your kids to where you live where they go to school the friends you have where you go to church you know that's something i put on my ways to be an ally is you know look at your church do they do they support conversion therapy if they do find a new church you know if and i've had i've had friends that have been big supporters and i and i we visited their church for a holiday concert and i was kind of poking around the website and they had Support groups that were kind of basically conversion therapy, and I, I told my friends like, i thought you might not want to know this because they don't know everything that goes on. <clears throat> they can either, you know, so, and that goes for schools, you know, creating change in your kid's school, whether it's for your kids or the kids who don't have the parents to advocate for them, you know, get a get a gay straight alliance formed or get those get those queer books in the libraries. You know.
0: And I, I think that I think that you're really hitting on the thing there is
2: try to make it unremarkable. Right?
0: I, I think that, that there might be some parents who are, who, who are trying and are gonna, but they're still gonna make it seem othering, right? They're still gonna make it seem like those people, like you have to learn to accept those people, right? It's, like, it's okay that they're out there, right? Well, you know, rather than really creating an environment of like, hey, this is just a part of who people are amongst the entire scope of people. I have, I
2: have a good friend in Arkansas, uh, that's where my family's from, and this is actually a best friend of one of my cousins. So I've known her for most of my life. Everything she posts is so full of love and acceptance, and um, and she lives in a really small town in Arkansas. And knowing that really takes away from that kind of whole, like, oh, is she just paying lip service? But no, she's she's practicing what she preaches about accepting kids. She's also a teacher, which is great. But like, always posting positive stuff about about the queer community or about you know different different races and cultures and you know i try to think as much as i can for being kind of a light in that in a part of the country where it might not be as safe for a lot of kids so.
0: that's awesome well brett i want to thank you so much for joining me and spending the time it's been a great conversation maybe you can help me uh plug your your various projects there's uh, designerdaddy.com, mm-hmm. right that's a great place again the the post there even if you you know you can dig into the archives folks but even if you just read like the first two pages like there's so much good stuff on there right now like again I love the uh I love some of the top tens. you know they're stay on a lot of pop culture stuff but then also I think there was uh, the top 10 like sex ed videos for kids or something like that which <laughs> was which is pretty cool again you know as our kids are getting towards those middle school ages like that becomes super important yeah. um and those ones of course are very uh, inclusive and and recognize all all sorts of different relationships um and then of course you've got your your wonderful drink recipes and uh along with advice for parents and your your own personal stories uh and then there's super lunch notes on instagram is that is it at Super lunch notes. Is it what is it?
2: Yeah, super lunch notes. All one word.
0: All one word. All one word. We still say that as if no one's used the internet. Like, oh, no spaces.
2: Well, yeah, Uh, no (laughs) underscores. No underscores. No No
0: underscores. Right. Um, What else? Uh, Do you do Twitter? Do you do? uh, We've already established no, no TikTok. (laughs) Yeah,
2: right. I mean, I'm I'm designer daddy on on pretty much everything, Um, but I also. I have a new website launching very soon, brentallman.com, which is going to be home to everything. It'll still have a link to designer daddy, but it's also going to have all my design work. And I'm I'm doing, I'm focusing a lot more on illustration, trying to get more illustration work. Um, and there will be a forthcoming Instagram account for that. So I think that's my, that'll be my third Instagram account. Um, but yeah, that's going to be um, more kind of like overall. So everything, everything can be there all my future book deals and
0: that's toy right
2: toy lines putting that that's on me. right
0: i can't wait to get my brent allman designer daddy action figure <laughs> i think that'll be awesome so yeah so if you're looking for someone to do design work for you eventually check out BrentAlman.com. yes all right thanks man thank you the Interdisciplinary Life Podcast was written and directed by Roberto Santiago. Our theme song is "David Crash" by Abundant Society. All produced in association with NTDL Productions.
2: Well, recording. We are, yeah, great.